As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen I'm never quitting on my mission, I'ma roll with what I'm giving Got some ambition, this new edition, filling positions Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing Better watch the way you going, better go in the right direction In the moment you stressing, but you gon' be counting blessings And I know that for certain, keep on working, open curtains Haters swerving, cause they ain't ready for your final version I'm never gon' give up, give up Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, yeah Cause this is my road Let's camera action I'm ready to go I'm never gonna give Good morning everyone Good morning It's again a, a, a great pleasure and honor and an opportunity to kind of just uh, express ourselves express our being and kind of indicate to the world that there are people on the planet that want to make this place a better place uh, life liberty and the pursuit of happiness throughout the globe is a key and uh, how do we kind of, kind of come about that incrementally and mac from a macro standpoint is certainly the, the continual challenge. And we're gonna talk about some of the, uh, the challenges to our life, liberty and pursuit of happiness just from a, a very kind of unique but specific area in terms of menthol cigarettes, uh, the potential impact of a, a menthol ban in, in cigarettes and e-cigarettes. Uh, most of you might remember that cigarettes were once uh, uh, really, really prolific. Now they've been kind of more super regulated, although the price continues to go up, which, which still fascinates me. But uh, uh, Dr. Kristen Bold is with us. Dr. Bold is uh, assistant professor of psychiatry at the Yale University School of Medicine Department of Psychiatry. And she's going to share with us her research, uh, her passion, her interest, and her public health uh, concern. And I would say her abolitionist strategy, Dr. Bold, I know that's maybe not a word that you use a lot, but I want to just uh, label you in that way. And we're joined by Reverend Dr. Leroy O. Perry Jr., pastor of St. Stephen's AME Zion Church in Brantford, Connecticut here. If you're listening, if you're not quite sure where Brantford is, it's near, it's in Connecticut, uh, near New Haven. And he's a, a cultural ambassador to the Yale Clinical Research Program. Some would say that he might even be the Moses of the cultural ambassador. Uh, <laughs> clinical research program, and he and he's joined by uh, some of uh, Moses. Moses had a lieutenant, Reverend Clayton. Who was who was the lieutenant? Joshua. <laughs> and some might say that we're joined by Reverend Elvin Clayton, pastor of Walters Memorial AME Zion Church, and also cultural ambassador to the Yale Clinical Research Program. And Reverend Perry's Joshua. Uh, but remember, Tom, uh, when Moses had died, God said. Uh, I'm gonna be with you just like I was with Moses. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. So we, so we all have our crosses to bear and it, and it can be mm. a, jo a joyous journey, absolutely. Uh, th and thanks for sharing that. Dr. Bold, uh, again, we have 55 minutes and thanks for arranging your, your schedule, kind of commune, I'll use the term commune with us, share content and information, a, a spiritual uplift as well. Uh, but tell us, about, um, tell us about some of the work you're doing with the Department of Psychiatry at the Yale, at the Yale School of Medicine and, and good morning. Yeah, good morning. Good morning, everyone. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, so I'm a clinical psychologist, and my work really focuses on reducing the harms and health problems of smoking and tobacco use. So as a clinician, I see people one-on-one -on -one individually to provide help and support while they're getting ready to quit and through the challenges they face in that process. And I also direct a research program with a lot of different studies, but really focused on improving our treatments, improving access to treatments, using new methods, um, like trying to 
broaden access through mobile technology, through cell phones, through text messages, kind of reaching people where they are. And also on a broader scale, thinking about policies that we can put into place at a local level, at a federal level to help reduce tobacco use. Um, and that's one area that Yale uh, is really focused on. So we have a tobacco center called TCORS, hmm. and this is a partnership with the FDA. So the FDA is the regulatory body that oversees the manufacturing and distribution of tobacco products. So they can decide what products can be manufactured, what can be sold, what kind of advertising is allowed, what kind of flavors are allowed. Uh, and Yale, the, the goal of a lot of this research that we do at Yale is to provide the evidence and the science to the FDA so that when they make decisions about these products, um, they can consider you know, both what the potential effects would be, who would be affected, uh, and they can use this when they're making their decisions. Excellent. And Reverend Perry and Reverend Clayton, just before I come to you, I just wanted to ask uh, Dr. Bold, when she, she kind of, you really teased, teased me, and I'm sure our listeners, uh, Dr. Bold, when you mentioned the, uh, the, the various methodologies and the uh, various things that are in your, 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 your ammunition in terms of intervention and uh, but, but give us an overview of why, uh, uh, why these intervention strategies are, are so, so important. Yeah, so I mean, for me, reducing the harms and consequences of tobacco use is, is so important and it's such a passion of mine. I've been focused in this area for over 15 years. Um, and I think for me, the big takeaway is just how many people are affected by mm. tobacco use still. Mm. Mm -hmm. And that tobacco use is really the leading cause of preventable death and disease in the United States. So each year, over half a million deaths are attributable to tobacco use. Um, and that's over a thousand deaths each and every day. And so if we're able to help people stop smoking, I mean, how many more uh, lives would be saved? How mm. much more years and good years would be added to life. Uh, and so for me, it's just a, a real important area that is, it's totally preventable if we can help people quit, if we can stop people from starting smoking in the first place. Indeed, and we're gonna spend some time, maybe even 20, as much as 20 or so minutes uh, chatting about your, your research activity and how people can get involved because that's so important for people to be able to really have a sense, a true sense of taking ownership of, of their, of their uh, taking ownership of their own health and, and being proactive. Um, talk to us, just, again, just before I go to Reverend Perry and Reverend Clayton, talk to us about findings though. You keep on teasing me when you, you just, you're throwing out these sound bites that just caused me to think of, uh, but what are some of the findings about what factors do you think uh, uh, contribute to a person's smoking habits and their success in, if not quitting or de decreasing their, their, their intake? Yeah, yeah, so we know, I mean, in terms of, quitting, right? I mean, the people who are already smoking, how can we best help them? Um, for me, you know, I think one of the important messages that I usually share with people is that it's it's never too late to quit, right? Mm -hmm. I think many people feel, oh, I've tried a lot of different things. I wasn't successful. You know, why, why bother trying again? Um, and they can feel really defeated, right? That, you know, I tried things that didn't work. And I think one thing that's important to remember is for many people, they didn't start smoking overnight. It's been years mm. and years mm. of practice smoking. And mm -hmm. so thinking about putting that same effort and, and practice into quitting and getting ready to quit can be really important. And just because something didn't work one time doesn't mean that it's a total failure. We know that kind of every time somebody tries, they're gonna be more likely to succeed eventually in the future. Cause there's something that you can learn with each and every attempt, right? Learning what works for you, what challenges came up, 
What do you want to try differently the next time? Uh, and so, you know, I always like to emphasize that really quitting smoking is the single best thing that you can do for your health today and in the future. Um, mm. In whatever way you can get get ready to quit and go about quitting is, is a great way to try. So mm-hmm. there's really no wrong way to try. Um, <laughs> we know, you know, what strategies are most helpful for people are using some form of medication and and support, you know, talking one-on-one or getting other uh, group-based support to kind of help along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's going to look different for different people at different times. But I think, you know, emphasizing that continually trying uh, can be can be really important is, is a message that I, I always like to share with people. Absolutely, absolutely. It, it, it might appear to be a, a Sisyphus journey, but but don't, don't but don't don't give up as my the theme song for the show is kind of never give up, and that's very intentional. Uh, just just lastly, but but allow me, you know, I, I have the mic as they say, uh, Doctor Doctor Bold. So let me kind of just drill down one, one more time in terms of of terms of findings uh, or what what factors though do you think they could be speculative or 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 or, or a hypothesis? But what factors do you think contribute to people's person a person's smoking habits? Because we all in our family and our friends, we've seen the the, the prevalence of it in, in spite of uh, the, the regulation. Yeah, that's a great question. So we know um, one of the interesting things that I think we'll talk about um, in great detail here, but is about menthol cigarettes, right? So we've seen that over time, rates of smoking non-menthol cigarettes have continued to decrease, but rates of smoking menthol cigarettes have not really decreased at the same level, right? Mm -hmm. So um, people who are smoking menthol cigarettes, we we know that they actually have a harder time quitting. Mm. Um, And that's by design that these cigarettes, having that menthol flavor in the cigarette makes it easier to start smoking. It's not as irritating. Uh, it's a smoother inhalation. So it's easier for people to start. People start at a younger age. And then it's also a lot harder to stop, um, both because it's it's easier to use, but because of the way that the menthol interacts with the nicotine in somebody's body actually exposes them to more nicotine. Mm. So they end up having greater nicotine dependence. So even though people who smoke menthol cigarettes try to quit, as often, if not more than people who smoke non-menthol cigarettes, they have a much harder time doing so. Um, and so it's it's also not a, a personal or a character flaw if somebody is trying to quit yes. and they're unable to. Like, by design, these are, are intended to be really hard to quit because the tobacco industry is profiting from this, right? Mm. Mm. Um, and so, you know, thinking about what factors have led to continued rates and high rates of menthol cigarette use. I mean, I think we really need to look at the systemic um, disparities within our communities and the way that the tobacco industry has really targeted black and brown communities with these products um, over decades in terms of more ad exposure, more uh, stores in these communities. We know that there's more stores near schools in mm. these communities. And so there's a lot of research to show that when ads and, and stores selling cigarettes are closer to high schools, more high schoolers smoke. Mm. So there's more access and more use at a younger age, but then also makes it harder to quit, right? As people are using nicotine in this really early developmental stage, their body and their brain get really used to having nicotine and it makes it harder to quit. Um, and this has all been really intentional by the tobacco industry. I know we're going to talk a little bit about what that has no, looked like, continue. but the targeted advertisements, those cool jazz festivals, um, the free cigarette distributions, even in the 80s and 90s, there were cigarette vans that drove up and down neighborhoods and gave away free samples. Um, And so, you know, we're at the point now within our communities where 
85% of Black and African-American people who smoke, smoke menthol cigarettes. Um, and so it's really a, a public health crisis yes. um, and a real need for, you know, health disparity work to, to work at reducing menthol cigarette use. Excellent, excellent. Reverend Perry and Reverend Clayton, Dr. Boyd, Dr. Bold has really set the, set the stage and platformed and it's covered so many key issues. When I think of you, both of you gentlemen, sharing this uh, radio experience in terms of your role, you're really your 24-7-365 role. I, I don't think people understand, what, unless you're in the ministerial role, I don't think you can ever understand the, the, the daily constant pressures on you and for you still to kind of, particularly on Mondays, which are typically kind of a relaxed day for folks in your profession, but for you, but for you guys to kind of jump into the, 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 the fire every, on these Mondays, it's, I guess really I wanted to publicly shout out my appreciation to you. But so as, as spiritual advisors are Reverend Perry and Reverend Clayton, and you know, you, you're, you're, you guys walk alongside people um, as they make their decisions about their life and their behavior choices and you, do you stand beside people when they're laying in the coffin, if I can be so, 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 so blunt about it. So you're, you're uh, adjacent to, to, to a person's well-being is, is, is from, from cradle to cradle to grave. But I guess wonder what do you thought about what, what are some of the, or some of the issues you think that are important as you talk to someone who wants to maybe cut back on or, or quit smoking or even switch from uh, cigarettes to e-cigarettes. And we'll talk about that might not be a wise thing to do as well, but Reverend Perry, Reverend Clayton, any thoughts in that regard? Well, Tom, first of all, every person is different. Hmm. You know, what may work for me may not work for you. Mm -hmm. And, and um, when the first thing a person needs to do, in my mind, and what I would tell people, they have to make up in their mind that they want to quit smoking. You, you got to start here. Yes. And, and uh, perhaps uh, set a date, uh, I'm going to stop smoking on the 28th of whatever month. <laughs> and then, uh, or I should say, you can say, this is the last pack of cigarettes I'm going to buy. This is it. <laughs> now, when I finish this one, I'm not going to buy <laughs> anymore. You, you got to set some kind of goal to, to, to kind of get yourself away from it. And, and that's not, it's not over mm. because cravings are real mm. and, and temptations are real. Mm -hmm. And and though in the Christian community, you know that Jesus was in the wilderness, and 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 and, and the enemy tempted him multiple times. Mm. So so I mean the same cigarettes, man. Especially the, the Mithlaw brand, uh, you may put it down, but it almost calls your name. Come up here and get me, <laughs> you, know, you know. But mm. but we ask people to try to stay with it. There, there's help out there for you. You can ask your doctor. You have or they have some over-counter over thing that they can use to help them get through. But, but don't give up. Mm -hmm. You know, if you fail, you know, get up and dust yourself off and keep going. Don't be like that lady on a TV commercial years ago, I fall and I can't get up. You know, you quit today and something happens, get up and start all over again. And until you make it, you know, you have to learn to take charge of your health because cigarettes and 
And now e-cigarettes or vaping cigarettes are, are terrible for our health. Mm. 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 Yes, and Tom, I think that what people don't realize is that cigarettes is more addicting than some of the major drugs that are out here today. Mm. So it's not, it's not as easy as wanting to quit. I think that the uh, chemicals that, are, that they've put in these menthol cigarettes make it almost a hundred times harder to quit. And I think people wanna quit. I just think that they can't, they can't. So I, I think that what Christian is doing and saying to us is we need policy as well mm-hmm. as, uh, as, as well as we do intervention. And I would add to that a stronger campaign to educate our community on, on the harms and risks of, uh, of smoking. I mean, I, I have been a smoker for a number of years in my life, and I'm gonna tell you, I tried everything to quit, so I know how hard it is. I tried acupuncture, I tried hypnosis, <laughs> I tried the patch, and I did not realize how, um, how impactful you know, the, the chemicals within the, within the tobacco industry were. And, and if, we, if we wanna get rid of pollutants, we need to maybe have some policies where we can work with tobacco companies. Like we're trying to get rid of gun violence. We need, this is just as violent as gun violence. As you said, uh, a, a million people are dying. When will we wake up America and, and, and look at the things that are attacking our children, our citizens and do something? And I think this is why this program is so important that we get the word out, that we, get, that we educate people and that we try to help them find um, and the best way to help them is to keep them from starting in the first place. So mm-hmm. 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 that's where we are. Mm-hmm. And, and, and just before we go to the Food and Drug Administration and federal bans and municipal bans and, and, and by all means, Dr. Bold's uh, research study and how people can participate on that. I was just curious, Dr. Bold, I'm thinking of someone, somebody that might be listening in the back of their mind, they might be thinking, what about, what about e-cigarettes? I'm hearing all about this e-cigarettes. Are they, are the e-cigarettes, Dr. Bold, uh, a healthier alternative or, and is that true? And, and, or maybe what are the differences between the two or, or is it just another n- nefarious kind of scenario? Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, and there's still a lot of research ongoing in this area, but what we know from the research that has happened so far, there's summaries of thousands of people across multiple studies looking at adults who are using e-cigarettes as a way to try to quit smoking. Um, And the evidence is really supporting that e-cigarettes can be a successful way for people to stop smoking. Um, So from that perspective, I would say absolutely e-cigarettes have a potential to benefit people. Um, They're not exposed to as many of the carcinogens as they are in cigarettes, right? Uh, so in a way, you know, if somebody is able to completely stop smoking and switch to an e-cigarette, that that can potentially have a good benefit for their health. We don't really know the long-term effects of e-cigarettes yet. So, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say we should recommend, you know, continued e-cigarette use for the rest of somebody's life. But thinking about e-cigarettes as another form of a nicotine replacement, right? We know that nicotine is in a lot safer forms in other medications like nicotine patch and gum. And these are often things that are recommended for people when they're trying to quit. Um, and, you know, it's really kind of beneficial in that moment to have this 
much safer form of nicotine to use to help manage those withdrawal and cravings, uh, especially early on in that quitting process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then eventually when somebody has been able to succeed in stopping smoking for a period of time would be, you know, then they don't need that nicotine replacement anymore. So kind of weaning off of, of that nicotine would be probably the best thing to do. I think the challenge with e-cigarettes is also recognizing the other side is that there are many people who don't currently smoke, who, you know, our youth, our teens, um, people who aren't using other tobacco products who find these new products really cool, really appealing. And so if they're attracted to e-cigarettes, they're using these as kind of their first tobacco product, mm. they're exposed to nicotine the same way that they would be mm. to a cigarette. Um, and so again, that has really big problems for the developing body, the developing brain, and they can end up being really hooked on the nicotine and have a hard time stopping. And perhaps that leads to a progression to smoking cigarettes or other mm. tobacco products in the future. So, you know, I think whether e-cigarettes are good or bad kind of depends on who you are and how you use them. So, you know, if you're an adult and you've tried a lot of other things and are struggling to quit smoking, maybe this can be a good, a good way for you to kind of put those cigarettes aside, stop smoking completely, and that might help reduce your harm. Um, but if you're not somebody who smokes, you're a, a youth or a teen, uh, it's not at all advisable to use these e-cigarettes. Mm -hmm. You know, Tom, I want to say that in New York, mm -hmm. um, Bloomberg, he, he had a campaign where he was trying to like uh, get that point across. So you couldn't smoke within a certain restaurants, you couldn't smoke in certain neighborhoods and within certain distance uh, from other people. So he made it difficult for people who wanted to continue to smoke because they have to go outside from their job, they'd have to go down the street, they have to find a corner. And so, you know, for some people, they just gave up because they became frustrated <laughs> at, uh, <laughs> you know, just being able to smoke, you had to go through all of these hoops. I think that, you know, there's a psychological basis to this. There's a sociological basis to this. And what we need to do is to really do some real research, because I think that in poor neighborhoods and stressful neighborhoods, cigarettes uh, represent a, the kind of crutch that poor people have when they have nothing else to cling to. If we start early in schools, if we can get the education out, not only to our churches, but to our stores, our partners, I think we'll have a, a greater success rate. But right now, the money is not behind that. The money's behind the tobacco companies, like the money's behind the gun companies. And so it's very difficult. Your show, I'm hoping, will reach more than, that this show will reach more than some of the others, because mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. this is an impactful way that yes. we have of, of at least addressing this publicly and, and through this educating even, you know, we should start in kindergarten, mm. really. Mm. Saying I'm not going to be a smoker, have these little <laughs> songs, you know, like, like Smokey the Bear, you know, I want to put out forest fires, I'm not going to be a smoker. And, you know, mentally we're training our minds and we have to train young people we have to educate them and we have to find ways. So I like the fact that Kristen is also using social media mm -hmm. because that's where our young people are now. And that's, they're, they're a difficult group to meet with. And I think that what they've done is that they've said, you know, like we had a generation that wanted to um, drink. And then we had a generation that says, I'm not drinking, I'm gonna smoke marijuana. Mm -hmm. And so to each generation seemingly finds uh, a crutch or a pillar. And, and really, we don't need these crutches. 
really. Mm. So we, we mm. ought to try to find a way of like teaching them how to uh, meditate or to uh, center themselves or, you know, all of this new technology and uh, biofeedback. We need to work toward developing greater strategies to help um, to help our communities and mm. the people who are struggling with these addictions. And, 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 Tom, let me just add to this point that sure. Dr. Perry was speaking about with these, these little children. If uh, education is a powerful tool, but we also have to direct it uh, advertisement to parents and adults who smoke because children do what they see their parents and other adults are doing. So mm -hmm. if you're an adult and you are a smoker, you shouldn't do that in front of children. The, the adults already know that it's harmful to their health. But mm -hmm. sometimes you, you will see people in a car smoking a cigarette with a baby in the back. Mm -hmm. And so we, we should also push that point. It, if you are a smoker, don't, don't smoke in front of your children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Dr. Dr. Bold, it seems to me that you're 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 anxious to share with us your research study because just listening to to mm -hmm. Reverend Perry and, and Reverend Clayton, uh, you're on the front front lines in the way of of yeah, how how do we kind of develop and embark and deploy this uh, abolitionist strategy? So tell us a little bit about your your treatment study and uh, you know what types of supports people have. We have about 30, 30 minutes or so to really take the deep dive to encourage people to to perhaps participate in the study, for you to share what the study is about. I mean, it's just so exciting for, I guess, I love doing this show for people to know that science is not dormant, that that people are developing, you know, we, we take for granted penicillin, penicillin and aspirin and, and our show host just mentioned he's going in for his knee surgery, our show uh, station manager in a few weeks, but we take for granted these medical advances and don't, don't really appreciate and shout out the folks that are really such as yourself in the, uh, the, the human laboratory of, of discovery. So tell us about your, your treatment study and, and what's involved. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and we'd love to have anybody listening or if you have somebody that you wanna um, put us in touch with, you know, I think these studies and, and the research in general can only be as, as good as the participation that we have. And that's why I think, mm -hmm. you know, community involvement, community engagement is so important because really at the end of the day, who are these policies going to impact, right? And, and those are the people that we want at the table when we're having these discussions, yeah. when we're thinking about the potential impact. And so the goal of the studies that we're running right now are really to bring the science to the FDA to say, what would happen if menthol cigarettes don't exist anymore? What would mm -hmm. happen uh, related to menthol flavor in e-cigarettes? You know, how should we be thinking about these different products from a public health perspective? Who's going to benefit, and what would that look like? Um, and you know, the FDA really wants this kind of science. They need this evidence when they're thinking about and, and making decisions about policies. Yes. So having you know community involvement is is so important. Um, and so really, the project that we're doing right now is is based on some earlier work where we were looking at what would happen if menthol cigarettes weren't on the market anymore, because um, this is a policy that the FDA is considering at the federal level right now. And so what we did was we had people who would normally smoke menthol cigarettes, and instead they smoked non-menthol cigarettes for just a short period of time. But what we found was that many of these people stopped smoking altogether. Mm. Um, those who continued smoking smoked a lot less. They 
had much lower rates of nicotine dependence. Uh, they had much greater interest and confidence in quitting smoking, even though they weren't, you know, actively looking to quit when they came into the study, they left saying, mm -hmm. Hey, you know what, actually, I think I can quit. Um, so it was just really profound. And we saw actually much greater benefit among the black and African-American participants in our study who smoked menthol cigarettes. So again, from like a public health and health equity perspective, really provide some strong support to the FDA when they're making these policies to say, Hey, getting rid of the menthol flavor in cigarettes would be really, really beneficial. Um, Cause one of the first things that happens anytime a policy like this gets, gets put forth is there's, there's opposition. Who's mm. the opposition coming from? It's the tobacco industry. Mm. Um, they're the ones who are benefiting the most. And so, you know, there's lawsuits and other things that, that happen as a result. And so the FDA is able to use the scientific evidence, you know, to, put it forward in court and say, you know, actually this policy is beneficial and this is why we're gonna push it forward. Um, and so the study that we're doing right now is an extension of that and looking at the potential impacts of uh, menthol flavor in e-cigarettes or just tobacco flavor in e-cigarettes to see which of these scenarios helps reduce smoking and the harm of smoking the most among the populations. Again, so that we can provide um, the FDA the science that it needs when it's making these decisions. Dr. Bo, can I ask you one question? Is it sure. difficult to get folk to move from menthol cigarettes to non-menthol cigarettes? Because it seems to me that they've moved from non-menthol to menthol. So to get them back to non-menthol, it seems like that would be a very difficult task. So what is, how do you do that? Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, you know, we just recommend that, you know, people try to stick as best as they can to, you know, the study procedures as we outline them. Um, you know, for the most part, you know, people are still sometimes smoking some of their menthol cigarettes, but, um, you know, we're able to kind of keep good track of, of what is happening in the real world, right? This is only kind of uh, a model of what might actually happen, mm. but it's kind of the best uh, approach that we can take when, when menthol cigarettes still do exist. And we're also able to look at, you know, other countries, other places where these mm. policies have already been enacted to also see, you know, what would the potential effect be? And in, in those places, you know, where menthol cigarettes aren't on the market anymore, we do see a lot of the same effects, right? People, uh, are more likely to try to quit. They're more successful at quitting. Um, and there's an estimate that if menthol cigarettes were removed within the US, for example, there'd be over 600,000 lives that could be saved. Mm. Um, so a real large public health benefit. Mm. Wow. Reverend Clayton, please. No, I, I was just uh, amazed that uh, other countries have already done this. Uh, I, I did, that I didn't know. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, Dr. Bold, uh, I'm going to ask you to repeat this when the show as we kind of wind up. Uh, but if folks want to uh, get involved or to find out or to share the word and, and recruit others, what's the best way for them to kind of uh, participate in the study? Yeah, absolutely. So I can give a phone number you can call or text to reach anyone from our study team. Uh, it's 203-361-8562. And we also have a website, uh, which is YaleSmokingStudy.com, where people can go to learn more. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Um, support and resources. Folks often, in terms of clinical trials, there's, there's this, this initial hesitancy or, or apprehension about what's involved, how much time it's going to take for me. Can you, can you kind of share some of that, that, 
that, that we're not going to cut off their thumbs. <laughs> uh, you know, the duration, the commitment, what, what's involved with it, with their involved with their participation. Yeah, of course. That's so important to know. So, uh, so after a brief phone call, you know, where we explain a little bit more about the study, we invite people to come in one-on-one um, into our office in New Haven, just to learn a little bit more about the study. And uh, then, you know, if they choose to enroll, again, everything is very voluntary. So we want to make sure that everybody has a chance to ask any questions and learn about the study before they agree. And if they do want to sign up, um, then over the course of a couple of months, they come in, you know, once a week or once every other week. Um, And really, we try to keep the visits as brief as possible. So, you know, 15 minutes. 30, no more than 30 minutes, really, just to ask some questions and, and have people have a chance to share their experiences, answer some questions, and kind of give us feedback about what they think of this potential policy and how this is impacting their smoking and their health. Um, and importantly, everybody is compensated for their time, because um, that's a really important piece of this as well, right? Mm-hmm. That you know your time is valuable, your input is valuable, um, and so we want to make sure that everybody is appropriately compensated for that work. Dr. Bull, is there a deeper um, inhalation of folk who smoke menthol cigarettes versus those who smoke regular cigarettes? Oh, that's a good question. And I think it really varies by person, how they smoke, um, you know, and and how much of each cigarette is smoked. So, you know, I think... uh, I think certainly the the menthol is like a cooling sensation. It's the same kind of minty chemical that's in toothpaste and cough drops, right? That kind of um, numbs your throat, right? It's it's beneficial if you have a sore throat to take that cough drop. But that same cooling sensation is in a menthol cigarette, and so it certainly can um, kind of reduce that harshness and irritation, and probably can make it easier for somebody to inhale more deeply than they would you know, from a non-menthol cigarette that might be more irritating. Um, But I think over time, people just kind of have their own individual pattern and way that they smoke. So I think that does vary a lot by person. Well, let me just say this, as an ex-menthol smoking uh, individual, I would smoke more of, chain smoke more with a menthol cigarette than a non-menthol. And it wasn't until I discovered that there were carcinogenics or chemicals that that had that addicting effect. You know, I would buy a pack of cigarettes wanting to quit, smoke five of them at one time, throw the pack away, and two hours later, go back to try to find the pack. I knew there was something <laughs> mentally wrong with that. <laughs> but it's more than just my mental. It's, it's, it's also what's in the cigarette. And I don't think mm-hmm. that people who smoke realize you know, not only the carcinogenic effect, but also the, the chemical addictive effect of these cigarettes. And it's, and I think we just need to get more information out for individuals to understand that. Absolutely. That, it has such a powerful yeah. hold. And I think that's the real concern. And, and I think we're talking about policies to help prevent people from even starting, right? Because I think many people when they're younger, they think it's cool or they're going to try the next new thing. And they don't really realize that they're using something that is so highly addicting or that has so much nicotine in it. Um, And then they're really hooked and then it's really hard to stop. And so that's where, you know, even at the federal level, uh, tobacco 21 laws were instituted Mm -hmm. a couple years ago. So you now have to be 21 years old to purchase tobacco products. Um, Again, trying to prevent 
younger ages of initiation. Um, and that's also where, you know, the kind of this federal policy thinking about removing the menthol flavor in cigarettes might also be another policy so that, you know, cigarettes aren't just as, as easy and appealing to smoke. I think Reverend Clayton was correct when he said that we, a lot of what we learn, we learn from home. Like my father was a Navy man and he used to smoke and I wanted to be like him. And I thought by smoking, I could grow up, even though, you know, I couldn't buy the cigarettes, but for some, there was some stores that would always sell it. And I remember the first time I smoked a cigarette, I thought I was going to choke to death and I could not see why anybody would want to do this. Mm. But again, I was imitating my father, trying to be a grown up and trying to look grown up but not really understanding the uh, negative effects of what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, doctor, um, in your studies, uh, are, are there age limits or, and are there any illnesses that a person can have that would prevent them from being a part mm-hmm. of the studies? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, to be eligible, people have to be at least 21 years old, um, but we're happy to include any and all adults uh, who want to screen for the study. Um, And we do, you know, for everyone's safety, we want to make sure that somebody's healthy enough. Um, So we do have, you know, some health screenings and things like that. Although we know that people who smoke cigarettes do have a lot of other pre-existing health problems, right? And so we have um, a medical advisor who, you know, helps oversee and just kind of checks in with everybody to make sure Hmm. that that they're healthy. If there are any concerning things, we recommend that they follow up with their primary care physician. Um, I mean, really, the goal is that we want, hopefully, people to be able to completely substitute, get off of their cigarettes. Um, And so whatever way that they can do that is, is helpful and ultimately helpful for their health. And Dr. Bode, as a follow-up to the Reverend Clayton's um, really insightful question, and when Reverend Perry kind of, I'm just so pleased, and and I hope the audience appreciates his candor and, and him him coming clean <laughs> with, his, with his with his. I mean, people don't that that's tough to do. I think that's the first start. People recognizing, but 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 I get to my question. In terms of smoking cessation services for someone that's really hooked, if you will. What's available these days do you think that uh, might be of interest to folks that are really desperately trying to, uh, to, to, to lead a better life? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and most people may not know this, but most health insurances, including state health insurance, totally cover the cost of smoking cessation treatment. Um, so medications like the nicotine patch and gum, are totally free through insurance. Your doctor just has to write a prescription and there's often uh, counseling or other support that people have access to as well. So they can talk with their uh, healthcare provider to get in touch with those. There's also free resources just at the statewide level. So there's a quit line that's run by the state of Connecticut that people can get in touch with. It's a 1-800 number. So it's 1-800-QUIT-NOW. And this provides free counseling. They also have free medication for up to eight weeks that people can access. There is an online community of of support that people can access, a quick guide, lots of great tips and things to access there. And if if someone is also in the study and then the study can, by the way, when when is this, is the study for another year or what's the the, the timeframe for it? Yeah, so we're definitely gonna be running for at least the next two to three years. And so even after that, will will there be any 
support provided if needed to, to the participants? Yeah, absolutely. At any point, if somebody reaches out to us or is in the study and wants to get connected to treatment resources, we provide that information. Um, and also at the end of the treatment. So after, you know, the 12 weeks when people wrap up with us, we provide everybody a list of resources that they can contact at any point in time. And that number again for folks to call is? Uh, for the quit resources or for the study? I can both, give you both. Both, okay. both, both. This, 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 is, this is a show of abundance. <laughs> I wish I had it to like put up on the screen. So the uh, the state quit line for Connecticut is 1-800-QUIT-NOW. And the phone number to get in contact for the research study is 203-361-8562 or yalesmokingstudy.com. Great, great. We have about 12 more minutes, everyone. So as, as things kind of crush your mind and spirit to share, let's take advantage of this opportunity. Uh, I'll jump in. Dr. Bull, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. So I was going to ask Dr. Bo if, um, so when a person, when you're trying to switch them from a menthol to a non-menthol, do you give them the non-menthol or recommend the non-menthol or you just ask them to switch and, and then you follow up with them? Yeah, that's a great question. So for this study, uh, we have a couple different scenarios that we're trying to see. So for some people, they'll just have their regular menthol cigarettes. Other people will have non-menthol cigarettes, right? So we're kind of seeing what happens with non-menthol. But what's important here is that everybody's going to get an e-cigarette to use over the course of the study mm -hmm. in either a menthol or a tobacco flavor. Because the goal is really to see which of these scenarios helps people reduce their smoking the most, helps them quit, um, and serves as a, the best substitute for cigarettes so that the FDA can use this information. We can provide that feedback. Um, when they're making decisions about policy. So the question here is really, um, how can these e-cigarettes potentially help adults uh, as you know, another resource to help them get off of cigarette smoking? So in that case, you know, they're, they're getting one of those two e-cigarette flavors. Dr. Bull, I hear that in, in the coming years, that same study is gonna include marijuana cigarettes. And I'm wondering, uh, how do we sign up for that? I'm just joking. <laughs> I don't know of that one, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, tempted, I'm tempted to say something but i won't that's another show another show another show oh but, uh let's let's talk if we can about the uh food and drug administration because i think we're and dr bold correct me if i'm wrong but we're saying that it's it's our hope terms of the four of us on this show, that the Food and Drug Administration, people refer to it as the FDA, will ban, they will ban the manufacture, distribution, and sale of menthol cigarettes. Is that correct? Yes. And so we've had prohibition history. Uh, there's been, we, we know about the abortion pill controversy going on. Now, I, I, I want people to really, and I give you the chance to kind of share that this is, this is a fight we're involved with a fight we can see in terms of our political system currently, as well as historically, whenever uh, commercial products have, have been uh, excluded from the, from the legal sale, that there's also the black market problem. But I, I wonder about your thoughts that, that we need to do it, uh, but I'm just wondering what goes, goes through your head in terms of the scenario that if in fact the, uh, the ban is, um, is enacted, and how do we even monitor? Could a, could a manufacturer 
produce a menthol cigarette and, and disguise it with different different branding. I'm just I'm, I'm just trying to trying to stimulate your your thoughts in this regard. Yeah, these are all great questions, and we certainly don't know exactly how the tobacco industry will respond, right? We have some guesses based on other places where these policies have gone into effect. Um, what we see by and large in other countries is there's not as much of a black market as people expect. I think people have a big concern of that being the case. Um, it's certainly possible that the tobacco industry would evolve and make a, a different product, market it, um, to look, you know, similar to a menthol cigarette or, you know, add other flavors or other kinds of compounds to try and mimic menthol cigarettes. And so I think that's really where the education is going to be so important and using this as an opportunity, you know, when this policy goes into effect to help people quit instead of just switching over to whatever that next cigarette product is, right? Not giving the tobacco industry that opportunity to, to keep them on the hook. Um, and I think that's really where, you know, effective messaging around what this policy means is going to mm -hmm. be so important, right? Because mm -hmm. I think, you know, we think about prohibition of other of other issues and, and things like that, and there's a, a lot of opposition to it. And I think we could say here that there's not a, a lot of benefit of keeping cigarettes around, mm -hmm. right? Like who is going to benefit from that? And it's really only the pockets of the tobacco industry. And so there have been many people who've been very loudly outspoken against a menthol cigarette ban. Um, and when we do some digging, and this is really public knowledge, but they're funded by the tobacco industry. Mm -hmm. So there are people who are in communities and they're saying, don't let the tobacco or don't let the, the policies go into effect because, you know, this is really going to target you and your community. And this is going to take away your liberties. Um, and, and really, we know that messaging is coming from the tobacco industry, mm. because what this policy is actually going to do, it's, it's not going to, the enforcement's not on the individual consumer. It's not going to criminalize menthol cigarettes. What happens when the FDA puts this enforcement in is it's an enforcement at the industry level. So the industry will not be able to manufacture or mm -hmm. sell these tobacco products. So it's not going to be at an individual level. And I think that's a really important distinction um, that is important to share with the community. Excellent. You know, Dr. Um, Dr. Bo, one of the questions is like the, yours is a research study. How can the community um, work to support uh, not only the study, but the ban on menthol? I mean, how can, I mean, do we write our congresspersons? Do we write the FDA? Or is, are there some groups that you are also working that are supporting this research that we should probably know about that we can support them? I'm just wondering, uh, are there other uh, participants behind the scene or within the scene that we might be able to uh, connect with? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and so certainly contacting your legislators, both at the federal and the state level, would be valuable. Um, this is something that was proposed even within the state of Connecticut. So there was a, a legislation that was proposed but never advanced of saying that they would restrict the sale of menthol cigarettes. And a lot of the concern um, and the opposition was around, you know, what does this mean for economic stability in our state and people concerned mm -hmm. about um, just the loss of revenue, you know, which is a real concern. But I also think, you know, citizens can stand up and say, you know, but our health is more important than this, right? And if we actually think about the cost, or if we're going to talk about economics, we're going to talk about the cost, 
the healthcare costs, sure. the lost lives, you know, the yeah. loss of, of work, right. And the ability to work, you know, the disability costs that come from smoking related death and disease are huge and are much higher than would be the economic toll of not being able to sell cigarettes. Um, and so I think that's an important message, right? So I think, you know, kind of providing our support to the legislators to say this is important to us and we do want to see this push through. Um, and there are other national organizations, you know, the ACLU um, and others that are also working in this fight at the federal level to, to provide further support for this. I want to be on that team. Well, Reverend Perry, I guess I wanted to say I was, my mind continues to go, to go back to when you mentioned the, uh, the use of social media and rhymes and, and impacting the elementary school uh, world in terms of their video video world. That's so, so, so I'm, I'm curious, Dr. Bold, if, if, has the, uh, the advertising age, the advertising industry, have you seen any sample uh, messaging that the advertising in industry has, uh, has created in this regard? Yeah, so, I mean, historically, there's a lot of ads, you know, that I think are really important to think about how you know, kind of how we got to where we are today. Um, and for anybody who hasn't seen it, I highly recommend there's a great documentary. It's very short, about 10 minutes um, by Lincoln Mondi was the creator and it's called Black Lives, Black Lungs. Um, hmm. And it's incredible. It's really well done and really documents the tobacco industry history, their history of targeted marketing um, and the, the real marketing tactics of, mm -hmm. you know, the tobacco industry sponsored a lot of, um, you know, great organizations within the black community, the NAACP, other, you know, civil rights organizations, they sponsor uh, scholarships, you know, for education and things like that. And so they've been really intentional about also infiltrating the community from that perspective. And mm -hmm. then, you know, the intentional targeting of, of specific ads. We, we talked about like the um, cool jazz festival as an example, right? But just kind of like all the really iconic images that were associated with smoking that make smoking seem really cool um, and really appealing, I think is important to recognize. Excellent. Gentlemen and ladies, we have four more minutes, so let's kind of maximize as, as well our, our, our time. Um, uh, yes, Tom, uh, mm -hmm. we need to get the number one more time for the study. Uh, we're going to post absolutely. that on Facebook please. right now for people who are watching. If you could just, Dr. Bowe, give us that number again that, for the study. Great. Yeah, of course. So it's 203-361-8562. And you can call or text that number. Great. In terms of the FDA, Dr. Bold, is, is it your sense that they may, is there a timetable in terms of when they would have to render a decision? Is it, is a, is there, is there, is it a process that's, uh, I guess it's open for comment. Is there a process legislatively established about when they have to reach a decision in terms of the FDA ban? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. So um, the they proposed a rule was the first step um, and then it was an open comment period. So uh, that has now closed and the FDA has said by the end of this year, there will be a final rule that is put forth. Um, and then what's unclear is exactly what the timeline of enforcement is after that. Um, so they can write into the rule that it's enforceable, you know, as soon as the rule goes into effect, or sometimes they put a, a period of time um, until, you know, they need to officially enforce the rule. So I think a lot of that remains to be known of, of what that final rule will say. And although the public comment period has ended, if I heard you say that, is there still an opportunity opportunity to, to impact their deliberations 
and what what might that opportunity look like? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, certainly, you know, I think a lot of the the ways to get involved at this level are also, you know, just being in touch with us. You know, I, I'd love to hear ideas and, and others from the community um, to think about, you know, how can we bring this information to the FDA? We've been conducting listening sessions throughout the community as well, which has just been a great opportunity to kind of talk with people, hear experiences and stories, hear what people think about these potential policies um, so that we can bring that information to the FDA as well. Excellent. Reverend Clayton, Reverend Perry, kind of last words before I give Dr. Bold the last word. Tom, I think that you might be able to do a town hall meeting with the NAACP and all the influential people that you know in New Haven and in Connecticut, along with Dr. Bold, to kind of redo this show again and help folk to um, keep this on the plate and also to educate those who may uh, may not see this particular show, but the information is, is relevant. And I think this would be very impactful and helpful. I, I, I accept that charge, which I, I've been, Dr. Bode, I have been publicly put on blast. So <laughs> <laughs> that's, I, and I cannot, I cannot censor or erase that, erase that comment. So I, I, I accept, I accept that challenge. I accept, I accept that challenge. The NAACP nationally has a very vibrant public health uh, and, and health committee. Our local uh, NAACP has a very, has a vibrant health initiative. I'm also an alder, Dr. Boyd, and I'm gonna, Dr. Bold, and I'm gonna ask uh, our uh, director of health, Maritza Bond, to kind of be in touch with you. I'm also on the various automatic committees and we'd love to kind of have you and some of your colleagues present um, in terms of our health and human services, community development, uh, and also even just public safety committee. I mean, so so Dr. Perry, your your, your challenge is has been received, has been received, and, and I'm glad that you've shared that. Dr. Boulder, last comments, because you will, I say last comments, but you will be seeing me and us soon. <laughs> yes, no, and I, I love this. I think it's so important to have this as an ongoing conversation. And and I just want to emphasize again the importance of of speaking out, of you know, getting involved in these ways because it it actually was the the movement that got the FDA um, to even you know push this rule forward was a big lawsuit from just you know civil rights organizations and people saying that this matters and this is important to our health and why have you not made any movement on restricting menthol in cigarettes over you know many years despite the evidence that it's so problematic so you know there is a lot of room for people to be involved to be involved in research to be involved in policy um, and and to take charge of their health in this way Excellent. Perfect. Excellent. Thank you, everyone. Thank Welcome you. Welcome to hear from us. As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen I'm never quitting on my mission, I'ma roll with what I'm giving Got some ambition, this new addition, filling positions Looking at devoiding myself and feeling what's missing Better watch the way you going, better go in the right direction In the moment you stressing, but you gon' be counting blessings And I know that for certain, keep on working, open curtains Haters swerving, cause they ain't ready for your final version Whoa. I'm never gon' give up, give up Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, yeah Cause this is my road Let's camera action